Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Apologetic series, published September 18th, 2020, titled Faulty, titled Faulty Thinking Supports God and Martyrs. Move over, Hoyts and Gamble. Anything you do or say can be used, um, what's the next part? As a flotation device. As a flotation device. Slater and Michaels. How? Is, how, how, how? Say when. Height-wise. Hitchcock and Scully. I think it's a cookie. No, it's a pizza. <gasps> it's, it's a, a cookie pizza. Another case solved. We have a new entry for Worst Detective Duo, and they are Wallace and Turek. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel, please take a second to tap on the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when new science, theology, and news videos come out. It's common to hear Christians give analogies comparing police detective work to the investigation of religious claims. But when doing so, they should be careful to apply actual investigation techniques to their apologetics, rather than force apologetic techniques onto the police. The reverse doesn't hold up well under scrutiny. For example... Frank Turek in attempting to answer an audience question about the burden of proof. I look at people who are interested in these issues as like detectives. If you're a detective and you're a Christian and I'm an atheist and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm a detective in this scenario and um, we come across a dead body and you say, you look at the clues and you go, I think suspect X is the murderer. And I say to you, Joshua, I lack a belief it's suspect X. You're then going to ask what? Well, who do you think the suspect is? The true murderer. I hope not. I hope you'd ask, why don't you think that it's suspect X? I think you'd want to know what evidence about suspect X isn't compelling and why. You'd want to know if there's evidence that contradicts suspect X's involvement. Each suspect is treated individually. It's not First suspected, first convicted. Did suspect X do it? Yes. No. Maybe. And I'm, if I say, well, I don't have to have a suspect. I just lack a belief your guy is the suspect. Am I a good detective? No, sir. No. Yes. Yes, you probably are. Suspect X might have a credible alibi. Suspect X might be physically incapable of the crime. Suspect X might merely have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. These are all things the detective should consider, whether or not there is another suspect to consider. The evidence for felony suspect X needs to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Not, eh, it's the best we've got. There's a reason there are unsolved cases, cold cases even, which we'll get to soon enough. It's not because detectives couldn't come up with suspects. It's that there wasn't enough evidence to charge or convict the suspects. If the claims of Christianity aren't supported by sufficient evidence to be convincing, it doesn't matter if all the claims of all the other worldviews also fail. 
It would just mean that we don't know. I have a burden of proof, too, to say I think suspect Y is the murderer. And here's the evidence I have for that. Right. If the next detective put up suspect Y, then suspect Y would be subject to the same scrutiny as suspect X. But maybe it was actually unconsidered suspect Z. The police aren't forced to pick between X and Y. Do we have sufficient reason to think it's X? Yes or no? Do we have sufficient reason to think it's Y? Yes or no? They are separate questions considered separately. One could be right, both could be right, or perhaps neither is right. A detective or jury who thinks like Frank does would be putting a lot of innocent people behind bars. So what I'm saying is that atheists need to explain from an atheistic perspective, why is there, why is there a universe at all? That's presuming a why in the first place. That's like insisting there's a murderer when the death might have been natural causes. First you determine cause, then you consider motive when appropriate. Why is it fine-tuned? It's not. It just looks that way because we're naturally self-centered in how we consider things. See my pedal video. Where did the uh, objective uh, moral laws come from? No one has demonstrated objective moral laws. Just appealed to our intuitions that we tend to want to exaggerate. Where does life come from? Well, science is making good strides in observing the building blocks of life arising from unaided chemistry. But this would be an area where we don't yet have an answer. Where do the laws of logic come from? What Frank calls laws of logic are merely descriptions of the properties of the universe we happen to live in. They're descriptive, not prescriptive. Law is one of those tricky, multiple-meaning words. What about uh, the Old Testament prophecies? The New Testament is a sequel to the Old Testament. The authors admit that they were connecting the dots. This is no more impressive than John Wick 3 resolving story details from John Wick 2. And Jesus rising from the dead. And There's insufficient evidence to say that even happened. Consciousness. All evidence points to consciousness as an emergent property of the brain. But I'm willing to put that into the we-don't-have-all-the-answers-yet category. And all these other aspects of reality that I think everybody has the burden of proof to explain, no matter what position they come from. Anyone who puts forth a proposal has a burden of proof. But we don't know yet, or we don't have all the information yet, is always one of the possible answers. Usually it's the most honest answer. There's a reason we use the expression, the jury's still out, to describe such situations. As much as we might want the closure, we don't convict based on insufficient evidence. We wait until the case is actually proven. Let's all hope that Frank never actually becomes a detective. But speaking of, Turk sometimes teams up with J. Warner Wallace, a real-life cold case detective who carries this gimmick into all of his sermons in an attempt to validate his religious conclusions. Surely Jim won't fall into the same kind of epistemological traps as Frank. And don't call me Shirley. How do we know that the apostles died as martyrs? And do their deaths offer evidence for Christianity? And I can tell you on a personal level, this was an important issue for me when I was first examining the reliability of Scripture as an atheist. Because I know that there's a, a power, an evidential power, if in fact the, mar the apostles did die as martyrs for what they believed. What a coincidence. Because this was an important issue for me, while I was a Christian, attempting to determine whether my faith in the resurrection narrative was based in anything more than hearsay and tradition. And the problem I had was digging through the evidence from the 1st and 2nd century. Evidence from the 1st and 2nd century. 
that might be important later. Trying to figure out, do we have good reason to believe that, number one, the uh, apostles did die as martyrs and that they refused to recant on their testimony? And those two things together, I think, are important. I agree. Those two things together are very important. Did they actually die? And did they have a chance to recant to save their lives? There are no stories at all about the ability to recant, and even any deaths themselves. And there's a, a, a real broad range of traditions, early church traditions related to all the apostles. And some of these traditions are really better attested than others. And so that was something that was really uh, difficult for me to kind of weigh through. The this is Wallace's way of saying that the evidence was pretty weak. It didn't convince him. As a matter of fact, I've got lots of friends now who are examining these issues firsthand. How accurate are the individual traditions related to the death of Paul or Peter or Philip or any of these disciples? One of your friends, Dr. Sean McDowell, did his entire doctrinal thesis on it. And I've done videos about this topic to which Sean has responded, which led to us appearing together on an episode of the popular radio show Unbelievable. Sean's verdict? Of the twelve, there's only two that we have very high confidence diet, historically speaking. And that's mm -hmm. Peter and James, the brother of, uh, of John, James, son of Zebedee. Mm -hmm. And I would say outside of the 12, James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul, we also have very high confidence. Those are the only four I think we can put in first right. century consistent early documents. Now, I think even that is overstating. But your friend and Bible school professor and expert in this field is very careful not to overreach with this line of evidence. Let's see where you go, Jim. Well, here's one of the more powerful things I found. Look, anytime you have a criminal case, you have both the evidence that you offer to, to make a case against a particular defendant, and the defense attorney is going to offer his own set of evidences to make a case for his client's innocence. All right. Just like clockwork, Jim is bringing this back to his experience as a detective. And he seems to be one step ahead of Frank in understanding that each suspect is treated individually. Jim makes the mistake of saying that the defense lawyer is advocating for innocence. They're actually trying to decide guilty or not guilty. Not guilty just means there isn't enough evidence to prove the defendant is guilty. It doesn't prove the defendant is innocent. This is a subtle but important difference. But I assume with all his vast trial experience, Jim must have just misspoke here. What's interesting to me is the lack, the complete and utter silence of any ancient first century testimony. First century qualifier again. That describes the, mar the uh, apostles as living a long extended life, of doing anything other than the early traditions record. What's interesting to Jim isn't that the evidence for his position is uncompelling, even to him. Instead, he's interested that there isn't any testimony against his position. Is this how Jim investigates cold case murders? Oh, sure, Your Honor. There isn't much evidence that Suspect X actually committed the crime. But no witnesses have come forward saying that Suspect X didn't do it, so he must be guilty. Jim is openly committing the argument from silence logical fallacy, or argumentum me saliento, literally drawing a conclusion based on the silence of an opponent. While in one breath, Christian apologists want us to be impressed that there are any mentions of Jesus in history at all, in the next breath, they would have us expect that the opponents of Christianity would be well-documented and faithfully preserved. The Bible itself tells us nothing about most of the disciples after Acts chapter 4. They disappear from the Bible narrative entirely. For all we know, 
the disciples returned to fishing and never spoke the name of Jesus ever again in the rest of their lives. It is entirely possible that many counter-Christian narratives about the disciples were circulating, but never written down. For any that were written down, it makes no sense that the Christian scribes would take the time to make copies of anti-Orthodox material so that it could survive. I mean, there are prominent church fathers that apologists rely upon, like Hegesippus and Papias, that were pro-Christianity but which no extent writings even survived. We know about them only because later writers quoted them. If important affirming hero writings didn't last, why are we assuming minority dissenter work would survive? And if the reports of later Roman anti-Christian literature purging are to be believed, those counterwritings would have been among the first to be destroyed. The argument from silence doesn't work for a crime committed last week, and it means even less for events 2,000 years ago. So it's not just that we have a set of competing traditions, the Christian traditions where we have apostles who died as martyrs, and secular non-Christian uh, traditions in which the apostles live long, uh, comfortable lives. I guess Wallace's in-depth research failed to notice that there are, in fact, many non-martyr, long, comfortable life traditions for John, son of Zebedee, Matthew, Thaddeus, and Matthias. That's at least four of them. A full third of the twelve. How could Jim not notice? It's true these are within the church-friendly fire traditions as opposed to secular writings. But doesn't that make them worse for Jim's case? Not better? All we have are the repeated traditions related to the martyrdom. That, to me, was at least gave me a little more comfort in saying, hey, it's not as well I'm weighing competing traditions. Take comfort, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. No one says they saw the defendant not do it. There are no other stories about the apostles aside from their deaths as martyrs in the first century. There it is again. First century. So is that when your disciple murder reports are from? When I go through McDowell's definitive work on the martyrdom evidence and look at the primary source from each apostle's death and take them purely at face value, only four of the 14 are from the first century. Far more common that the primary source is in the third 4th, 5th, or even 6th century. So why is Jim looking for a 1st century report to counter 5th century claims? This is like complaining that Abraham Lincoln didn't speak out against QAnon. If I'm an eyewitness, somebody who actually saw the event, and then I was willing to die for what I say I saw, that would have great evidential value. I agree. An eyewitness who actually saw the event and then was willing to die for what they saw would have great evidential value. Do we have anything at all like that? Do we have any first-hand eyewitnesses that saw resurrected Jesus before his ascension and then tells us about it in their own words? No. No, we don't. Not a single one in the New Testament or elsewhere. You're implying you've got such evidence, Detective Wallace. But you don't. And so I think it does matter to our case. It's one of the strongest, uh, strongest pieces of evidence I think we have in the first century that the actual eyewitnesses were willing to die for what they said happened. And I think that is powerful. Well, your sources aren't from the first century, and they don't say anything about willingness to recant or even affirm with any confidence that anyone died. If this is what you consider to be good evidence, citizens should be hoping that you apply much better standards in your day job, Detective Wallace. So what does the expert on this topic, Jim's good friend Sean McDowell, say about using these martyr claims? I push back on a lot of Christians 
even apologists who I think overstate this argument. I had one pastor in my research, he said, man, you're gonna make a liar out of all of us. And I said, man, that is not my intention, but I think we've oversold this argument. I think there's also been a hyper trust by many Christians who read fathers and says, hey, they all died as martyrs and they proclaim it. Well, I've met that claim in the past, so I repent on this show from making that before I did my research. That should be corrected as well. So, if Frank were a detective, he'd be willing to convict any suspect anytime the police can't point to a second suspect, whether there's sufficient evidence or not. And when Jim is acting as a detective, he's presumably okay with convicting any suspect who doesn't have an alibi, whether there's sufficient evidence or not. This isn't how the criminal justice system works, and it's not how history works. It is, however, how apologetics work when you start with a conclusion and work your way backwards. That's a way to affirm your ideas, not a way to determine what is true. You're a genius. We're both geniuses. <laughs> thumbtack book. That was my thumbtack book. Thanks for watching. For more on the case for Christianity, click on the thumbnail, and I'll see you there. Later.